This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we're taking a closer look at what's happening in North Carolina politics for the week of Monday, April 12th. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, your host for the week ahead under the dome for April 12th and what's going on in North Carolina politics and at your state legislature. Uh, for this episode, I'm joined by Colin Campbell, and there are a lot of things that can happen this week, probably not as many as happened the past week when they were out of session, which was bill after bill after bill after bill. So many bills. <laughs> so many bills on bills on bills because of the bill filing deadline for most bills. So all kinds of every topic, every range of things. Uh, does that mean that this week we're going to see any of those bills? Maybe, maybe not. There are a few that we are, are pretty likely to see um, things that have already been in the works, things that have already been scheduled, and really anything that comes out of those piles of bills that were filed that comes up this week or the coming week really shows what the priorities are for the leadership and the gatekeepers, the committee chairs, uh, as far as what kind of laws might be passed in, in our state this session. So for the main things to know this week, uh, first up is a bill that already passed the House and it's the Governor Cooper's Powers Bill, or any governor, Cooper is the governor right now. But the, um, the reasoning behind this, it, it's similar to things that came up during the various executive orders, putting a lot of restrictions on businesses last summer, and, and tied to that, all these bills that, of course, Governor Cooper vetoed because it went against what he was already doing, um, would require um, concurrence from the rest of the council state, the statewide elected um, officials, on um, on emergency orders and and the timeline and and that sort of factor with the power. So anyway, that already made it through the house. And so, uh, Colin, you said like that we might see that in the Senate um, this week. It's I mean it's there for them. They could do nothing with it if they want. You know, yeah. or they could kill it off. I asked uh, Senator Berger this uh, week or so ago as to you know are they planning to take up this? And he said there was a pretty high level of interest in the Senate in passing this bill or at least some version of it, uh, whether they'll do that this week or whether they'll delay a while. Um, you know, I think one of the um, impediments to this bill is going to be partisan opposition, particularly while the, the COVID crisis continues. And, you know, there's still a need for some level of executive orders um, out there. Would the opposition diminish a little bit as we get further past executive orders? And, and then you're really looking at what happens in a future long-running crisis that's, you know, hopefully not another pandemic, but something else that goes beyond the standard, you know, one-week uh, hurricane-related powers that you've seen governors exercise in the past. Um, and if that's the case, then perhaps, you know, maybe this isn't headed for a definite veto. Based on the vote in the House, I would say it probably looks like it's going to get vetoed. Um, and the governor will argue that, you know, he needs to be empowered to, to make these sort of split second or, you know, at the moment decisions about uh, crises as they come along and, and having to have this extra layer would uh, make it harder for him to, to do his job. I'm sure we'll, we'll hear that argument in the Senate, particularly from Democrats when it comes up. Um, like the House, it'll probably pass on something like a partisan vote, uh, particularly if it's held soon. But again, if they wait a while, if they sit on it a while, who knows? I mean, it could the calculus could change a little bit about that. I mean, the that's been the interesting thing about some of these reopening bills this year in particular, is that every time they pass these 
thing is to sort of undo what the governor is doing or loosen up the restrictions that he has. By the time they actually get it through the whole legislative process, through both the House and Senate, governor has already eased up because the numbers have dropped, vaccinations have increased, um, and it becomes sort of a moot point. I remember remember the uh, the big debate on sports spectators and, you know, we need to allow more kid, parents to come see their kids play um, at a high school sporting event. Well, you know, the current rules match what that bill was, so it never needed to become law. I mean, I think both Cooper and, and Berger and Moore have touted their big, you know, schools reopening bill compromise um, and that they've actually talked more. And another podcast, if you all listen to Jeff Tiberi, uh, WUNC's, his, his politics podcast, he had Cooper on there uh, just this past week. And, you know, Cooper paraphrased the, the same kind of thing he's been telling a lot of us these past few months about how it's the, you know, it's the same players as it was two years ago with the last budget battle. And, and the way Cooper said it to Jeff was, you know, you didn't get rid of me and I didn't get rid of you, you know, so we owe it to, you know, people in North Carolina to reach a compromise. I thought that was the, uh, the best phrasing, you know, uh, and and it's true, and they are talking to each other, but they're also watching each other, which is, you know, we've discussed on, on past podcasts about how um, just what you were saying about the timing of, oh, you have a bill that's going to do that? Well, like my new order does this. And um, just how the that push and pull sometimes within just days of each other or trying to preempt each other on, you know, what the potential legislation is versus the changes there. And I asked Cooper in January before the session started, what he would think about changes to the emergency powers. And, and just if you look at the statutes, it's, you know, it's it's decades old and how it came together. Um, and someone at the UNC School of Government said it came up during, um, you know, civil rights protests and everything back in, I guess, the 60s, 70s. So, you know, like, like most laws, like there's, you know, it is, if it's a living document, maybe it deserves an, an, an overhaul at some point. And Cooper said, you know, not during a pandemic. And I, I believe his wording was like summer, fall, that sort of thing. So the Senate could sit on it, right? And then take it up later, change it, you know, send it back to the house. We'll, we'll see. Um, but it could also end up being another one of those symbolic bills that's obviously going to be vetoed and not be able to be overridden where they just want to try to, you know, check somebody. So I, I feel like that's what it definitely is. Um but if, you know, will they be able to check future governors, you know, r remains to be seen. So so that's a big one. What will happen with the North Carolina governor's powers bill? Um, and then we've got two other things, that, uh, Colin, that you said you've already seen there in, in committee. Um, what else can we expect this week? Um, so we've got uh, a pretty interesting uh, committee oversight hearing. Uh, this, this has a, you know, very long, but also very important name, the Senate Select Committee on Storm-Related River Debris and Damage in North Carolina. Uh, this is a committee that's formed to deal with, um, you know, the massive amounts of flooding we've seen, particularly in the eastern half of the state in the last couple of years through hurricanes like Matthew and Florence. Um, both the House, uh, pretty key people in the House, uh, John Bell in the House, and then uh, Danny Britt and... Um, Jim Perry over in the Senate have filed bills uh, to appropriate, I think somewhere in the, the range of 25, $30 million uh, to implementing some kind of statewide plan to uh, reduce the, the level of flood damage we see in future storms. And they don't exactly know exactly what um, that's gonna look like. Uh, the thing we're gonna hear on Tuesday is a presentation from the UNC Policy Collaboratory, um, which has been doing a pretty big study on this issue. They've got their preliminary findings out, the final report's out in June. Um, and the money that um, is going to potentially be appropriated is going to fund some of its recommendations. So there's, it'll be interesting to see whether that means 
Um, they're suggesting that, you know, you buy out a lot of homes and businesses in flood prone areas so that they're, you know, not likely to flood again, whether you sort of re-engineer some of the um, major rivers and waterways so that there's more places for the um, water to go. Um, River debris, which is in the name of this committee, um, is a reference to just, you know, stuff that gets in the, the rivers and creeks and causes the water not to flow as well, which then backs up and floods into to people's properties and, and that sort of thing that we've seen in, in recent hurricanes. So it's it's not the sexiest issue in the world, and it's one that probably has you know bipartisan support, but it's a really crucial issue, particularly for Eastern North Carolina that seems to be getting some attention in, in both chambers starting this week. Um, and then the other thing that um, is not gonna be bipartisan by any stretch of the imagination is uh, some of these bills um, regarding uh, transgender people, um, the most pressing one is one up on Wednesday in the House Judiciary Committee known as the Save Women's Sports Act. Uh, we've seen very similar bills in, in other states pushed by uh, groups on the religious right uh, that are concerned about um, transgender girls uh, being allowed to play uh, girls and women's sports. Um, they're concerned that it's not a level playing field if you were born male. Um, of course, uh, transgender folks uh, feel like they'd be discriminated against if they were not allowed to uh, play the sport that uh, matches their gender identity. Um, so we'll see a lot of uh, uh, heated rhetoric around that, um, whether that's going to be, you know, HB2 all over again um, with, you know, a, an issue of transgender rights. Probably not, because I suspect this will get uh, vetoed by the governor, uh, along with a perhaps more drastic uh, transgender related bill um, filed in the Senate in this past week that would um, pretty much ban uh, various types of medical treatments for people uh, transitioning between genders if they're under the age of 21. Um, again, these are all things that are popping up in other states. Uh, they've got some pretty powerful um, conservative groups behind them trying to do this as many states as possible. But uh, the difference between here and Arkansas is that, you know, the Republicans don't necessarily have the power to do this without Democrats. And the likelihood that Democrats get behind something like this is probably slim and none. Well, and there's that one one part in the bill that's already getting national attention and people paying attention in North Carolina, uh, where it says that um, essentially a teacher would need to tell parents and all parents in writing if their um, child shows something about shows gender nonconforming, something like that in the classroom. And that is that's something that could blow up um, HB2 level um, as far as controversy and what everyone says about that. So we'll find out like how, how much political leverage, you know, the supporters think they have to, to push this through, even though, you know, we know what will happen when it goes to the, the governor's desk and, and what that, if it even gets to the floor, what that floor debate might look like. And again, what, um, what people outside of the old North state think about, um, doing business here, everything else. And, and again, what you were saying, if this ends up being another HP2 situation or not, um, prob probably not because of like who's in power and, and um, compared, compared to that time. But, uh, but, but we'll find out and we'll find out like how, how far it goes if it makes it out. Yeah. Of and it's one of those things, you know, perception is everything in a way. So even if it never becomes law, I mean, the fact that this is making national news, I mean, I've seen, you know, particularly the provision you just mentioned about notifying parents, you know, people are questioning, are, are these legislators saying that, you know, if your little girl is playing with a truck or your son is playing with a Barbie at school that we have to you know, call mom and dad and say, oh, you might be transgender. Uh, you ought to watch out or something like, you know, that's, it's, you know, easily the stuff of, uh, of late night comedy shows. Uh, you can sort of see going that direction. Um, and even if it doesn't pass, um, you know, they're, 
there could be a reputational hit for North Carolina because there's still, you know, HB2 is more or less gone. Um, but in the eyes of a lot of, you know, big businesses or people in other states, they still associate North Carolina rightly or wrongly with HB2. And that's, uh, from what I understand, taken somewhat of a, a tourism and, and revenue hit ev- even now, um, and certainly even a bill that gets vetoed and never becomes law, but generates a lot of headlines could have a similar effect. And I think, um, yeah, just just about how how people view the state. And that'll lead us to the third thing to look for. Um, And related to that uh, is a story that um, I just heard recently uh, that's related to the budget, um, the stalled out African-Americans monument on the Capitol grounds. um, And will that $2.5 million be in the state budget or not? Uh, Nobody's saying yet. Um, But the budget, as um, most of our listeners know, probably um, comes out of the Senate this year. So if they're going to allocate that money, it was in Cooper's budget proposal. Um, It was all stalled uh, two years ago. And and some money came through for Freedom Park, but not for the African-Americans monument. So that's a that's a very small amount of money when you look at the overall size of the budget. Um, but that's one thing that um, that'll be coming up. And and even though um, I guess budget, you know, committee background, that sort of thing has already been going on. There's maybe a little more more work that's been going on lately, Colin. Yeah, they've uh, been meeting, I think, during the spring break. Um, the budget chairs did not get a spring break, I'm told. Uh, and the, the next hurdle that they have to cross on this is agreeing how much to spend. Uh, this is sort of to avoid the debacle of several years ago when they didn't get a budget out until September because they couldn't agree not just on what to spend money on, but they also couldn't agree on how much money they were willing to spend. So um, the process this year is going to be to settle on a number. Um, governor's number is somewhere in the uh, range of $27 billion total. Uh, Berger and Moore seem to think that number is a little bit too high and that they're probably going to end up somewhere uh, lower than that with with more money staying in savings or, or unspent uh, or something of that nature. Uh, but we should in the next couple of weeks uh, hear an announcement of what that number is going to be that the House and Senate have agreed on. And then the Senate goes back and, and starts to finalize exactly how they're going to spend that money and at least their proposal. All right. Well, those are three big things to watch for this week. And and one other thing, all those bills that we we're talking about that were filed, I think that bill drafting deserves a big shout out for all the work they do. Um, for yeah, they didn't get a spring break, I'm sure. <laughs> so bill drafting, uh, we see you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, North Carolina is appreciative for, for your work for, for our state government. So uh, for the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn with Colin Campbell. Thanks for listening. politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.